and welcome to From the Rookery End. We've just left Vicarage Road, we're outside uh, Watford, nil, Sheffield United, and let's be clear on this number, nil. Uh, I'm sure that will come up in this podcast. My name's John, and wait for Mike, uh, with me here is Colin. Good afternoon. Well, that was fantastic, just from the fact that we didn't lose. I heard a lot of people around me saying how, how disappointed they were. I mean, they used stronger language than that. But anyone who says that about this game clearly didn't go to Wolves last week. <laughs> so, no, you so, did, Colin, I after did. a triathlon. And it was a very, very, very poor performance. Uh, OK, they got their noses in front and then put a lot of men behind the ball. But our tempo, the togetherness, uh, just, it just wasn't there. And today, I think we know now a couple of things. Firstly, we kept a clean sheet for the first time in a Premier League game since February, <laughs> which is an achievement. And it is, in fact, a massive achievement. And they didn't really look like scoring. I thought we, we were much, um, much more of a cohesive unit yeah. throughout the team. And, yeah. we, and what we do know is, I think, we know how we're going to play now. We know what our identity is. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. What we are now is a team that doesn't look to keep the ball, doesn't look to get the ball and keep it. It looks to soak up pressure and then score on the counter. And we did that today, and actually we did it really well. We, bro- we broke their lines three or four times, created really good chances, which unfortunately, inexplicably, in a couple of occasions, we weren't able to convert. Gray missed one from three or four yards out, scooped it over the bar. Webbuck had one, one and one with a goalkeeper. Uh, but he had Gray wide open and he didn't look up and didn't pass to him. And if you're going to play two up front... You yeah, but to be fair, to be fair, if you'd seen Andre Gray miss that goal in the first <laughs> half, you ain't passing to him. It, it did occur to me. And also, I think he thought, he was confident enough to think, I'll score here, I, I know I can beat this keeper keeper makes a decent save makes himself big it's unfortunate but we probably should have won that game 2-0 but the most important thing is the nil because we we looked like a unit that could defend we looked like a team the players were talking to each other on the pitch they were holding their shape the tempo from the Watford team was so much higher than last week tackles were going in we were pressing the ball when we needed to we were backing off and making ourselves tough to get through I thought they didn't really threaten us and they and even though they've had a good start to the season there, there wasn't a lot of quality on show Against better teams, we might struggle. You know, we might still really struggle. But I think there were the, uh, as Norman Lamont would have said, I think it was Norman Lamont. There were some green shoots of recovery there. <laughs> so um, that's probably way before most people's time who listen to this. But just some elements of little things you can grab onto and say that looks more like a team. We look like a team again, and we seem to have clear tactics. Three in front of a back five. Make sure I don't know what possession, what amount of possession. Probably had 43% possession or something like that. I think that's how they're going to play. That's what Kike does, and that's what he did in the first season. Dini and Igalo, he, he, he soaked up pressure because we were newly promoted side, so we sort of expected it then. And then he'd ping the ball like we did against Liverpool in that famous 3-0 win, and Igalo got on the end of it, or you know, we got it out wide crosses and so on. So it looks like that's Kike's style, and that's how we're going to play. Now, that's not always going to work, particularly if you concede early. But today, we didn't concede early. We didn't concede, John. <laughs> we didn't concede a goal, which feels a bit like... A big, it's a big achievement and it will put confidence into their legs. Sadly, Prodel, who I thought looked really good yeah, in yeah, a three, don't, he's a bit old and a bit slow to be trusted in a two, but in a three, I thought he looked really good, but unfortunately he went off with a hamstring injury. Yeah, we'll talk about the players individually in a bit, but I think the, the, the biggest thing I sort of feeling I got was that, yeah, like I said, those, those green shoots just felt a little bit more like, hey, a little bit more clinical up front and a little bit more, a few less mistakes. We're rocking. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. And also, the problem for the faithful is that we've been watching a heavy Grazia side for the last year and a half, and that was possession-based football. His, his desire was to keep the ball and wear the opposition down by making them run around and keep the ball. So in those situations, we gave the ball away less because the aim was to keep the ball. But with the Kike side, the aim is not to keep the ball. The, the, uh, the aim is to win the ball and then transition quickly. 
That's why he plays two up front, two speed merchants. That's why we're not really playing wingers, because you just want to get it centrally over the top and get them in behind. And we broke their lines a couple of times, as I've said, through quick ball over the top, in the way that Leicester have played for the last five or six seasons. We don't have the quality that Leicester have up front. At the moment, we don't. Or, or really, we're getting used to playing that way. But the good thing about the five at the back is that it allows you to soak up that pressure, frustrate the opposition, then they give the ball away and we can use it quickly. Now, that's something that the, the, our team are going to have to adjust to, that style of play, because for the last 18 months, they've been told, keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball, recycle, recycle, keep it, bring it out from the back, keep it, get it wide, bring it back, get it to the goalkeeper and out again. And now Kike is saying, no, we're not going to play like that. We're going to soak up pressure, we're going to win the ball and we're going to transition into our forwards. And as you say, quite rightly, we, we probably should have scored those two goals with a bit more clinical finishing and that would have been a nice regulation 2-0 win, one in the first half, one in the second half. And that's what we need, we need that to build up our confidence. But I feel so much better after watching this 90 minutes than I did at the end of the game last week where I really thought we, it felt like sort of March and it's over. You know? yeah, yeah. But now I feel like there's a possibility that we can get back on track. A podcast made by Watford fans for Watford fans from the rookery end. Now, Colin, I want you to imagine a Venn diagram. There are two circles in our Venn diagram. One circle to the left is played badly. One circle to the right is played well. And where they lap over is the played all right. Yes. Let's go through the team. Who are you putting into which of our sections of our, our, our diagram? Ben Foster in goal. Played okay. Didn't have much to do, but okay. So in the middle, the two. In the middle, yeah. Okay, then we had uh, some the, the defence. Let's start with the centre, the, the three in the, the middle. Uh, include Dawson in that. So we had Dawson, Cathcart, Cabaselli, and Prudel. Are any of those making it into the played well? Prudel and Cabaselli for me. Cathcart is all right. Okay, so he's, he's in the middle. But having you mentioned already, but Prudel coming back, I don't know, because he's, he's a bit bigger, and I noticed him waving his hands around. But he was sort of being you know, a commander of that line, which we haven't necessarily seen. Cathcart doesn't necessarily do that. No, he doesn't. But also the other thing, and the real advantage of having three at the back, is that when you've got Jan, Matt and Holobas, who are fullbacks who like to get forward and are instructed to get forward because that's where the width is going to come from if you're playing this narrow three-man midfield and two up front who are kind of trying to work off each other. What, what happens when we lose the ball is that because you've got three at the back as opposed to two, which we've had all the rest of the season, one of them, there's always a spare man that can go over and cover. So when Yanmark gets stuck up the pitch or Holobas gets stuck up the pitch or he, gets, he falls over trying to, trying to win the ball back and suddenly they put it behind him, you've always got that extra man that can go over. So for me, the system works. And with Prodel in the middle as the, as the biggest... Uh, sort of presence physically I, I thought the balance looked quite good Cathcart didn't really have a very good game he's also a distraction for his lovely hair and his lovely looks but what is it what though Cathcart is it was it is it just because he's playing in the position you didn't put him in the terrible oh no circle no. he just he, he just wasn't at his sort of best his part he gave he did pass the ball a couple of times really poorly and uh, a, a little bit too quickly there were times there were lots of times where we had time on the ball and we didn't want to because again I think it's back to what Kike's working with on the and I thought you could see training pitch work had been done since mm. last you could see it like yeah. there was a system and they were trying to stick to it and I think the system is when you get it release it transition quickly don't sit on it don't put your foot on it look up try and make three or four passes in your box before you release it release it and so if that's the new style, which we'll see if it is or not, I might be completely wrong, then obviously there are times when you, can, you do that and you're going, to pass, you're going to kick it straight back to the opposition. So he did that a few times, which is a bit frustrating. So midfield, uh, which section played well, all right, or played, uh, played badly? Where are you sticking Tom Cleverley? Uh, I'd say he's at the top end of all right. 
maybe make it over into the, the played well. He works incredibly hard yeah, yeah. and he's probably one of the fittest players at the club and, and you know, you just love to see that. One of the, someone on a Twitter saw earlier on was like calling Wise Hughes not playing. He works just as hard uh, and all the rest of it. I couldn't see where he would fit in, the, in that team there. Yeah, you'd have to get rid of Pereira to make him fit in. Uh, possibly cleverly, but cleverly's playing so well. We needed that little bit of dynamic in the midfield. But Pereira, I was—he never really played well in the middle, especially when he's playing with the Charleston was out wide. His happy place for me, you know, it always feels like it's playing out on the on the side for Pereira. But he was here, there, everywhere, front and back. One might also might almost call him a terrier. <laughs> he was he was running around. I mean, I thought it was the best performance from Pereira I've seen in a, in, in months. I thought he was on it today. He was he his energy was up. Uh, he was working hard. He was getting into the tackles. He, he, he in fact, challenged for a header a couple of times, <laughs> which we've not seen very often. But yeah, no, and he's got so many great qualities. But uh, when he first came to the club, one of the things that really stood out was his work rate and the way that he's. And people were saying, "Look, this lad played for Juventus. He's playing the Champions League final. Look at him tracking back." And then that kind of went away a bit after the injuries and so on, which we've talked about. But today, I thought he, that we saw a bit more of that. There was a kind of the real desire to, to work for the team and, uh, and and win the ball back. Because obviously, if you're not going to try and keep possession. It means the opposition are going to have possession a lot of the time. And then what you need to do is win it and release it. And so he was trying to do that. And I thought the three of them together worked pretty well. Decoy didn't have a great game. He seems to be... He's in a funk. He's in a funk, he is. Exactly what he's in. He's in a funk. And I'm surprised in a way that... I guess if, you, if Capu was injured, you thought, well, we better play one of, the, one of them rather than change it completely. But I, I would have been happy to see Chalabar play uh, in, that, in that position, that slightly deeper midfield position. But, um, yeah, all in all, the, the three did their job. They protected the back three slash five. They kept the, they kept the gap between the lines pretty narrow. I mean, against Wolves, Wolves just carved us up whenever they fancied it, really. Two or three passes. We've seen it here, Brighton, one ball through the middle and they're in. So that didn't happen today. They tried to do it. Sheffield United, they had a lot of the ball in our, in our half. But um, that, that middle three worked hard and uh, it was good to see. The wing-backs, wing backs, wide yeah. men. Both for me felt like I'd probably put them in the middle of did all right. Holobas maybe a little bit. But it felt like a Holobas who was playing emotionally and knowing that he has made mistakes. Uh, especially early on, there was, uh, there was one moment where he just didn't do what he should have done and was able to sort of fight himself back to, 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 to right the wrong. But... Are you putting him in the middle or are you going to have to put him in the bad? I'm putting him in the bad. I, I love Holobas, as you know, but I thought it was one of his poorest performances today and he was getting the bird from, from the rookery and quite rightly. I mean, his positional play wasn't great. He was making strange decisions. He was po- doing a lot of pointing at other people to do his job. It's like, no, that's your job. So he got pulled out of position a few times. That he just, yeah, he wasn't quite at the races today. Okay. And Jan Matt? Yeah, I'd say all right. In the middle somewhere, yeah. Uh, up front, though, he started with two up front, of which one had a very good chance. Uh, they both had very good chances, uh, but one of them had an early one which was a little bit unbelievable. Mr. Andre Gray. Um, he started ahead of Delefeu, uh, lasted 60 minutes, maybe. He was the first one off uh, in terms of uh, attacking options. It was another Andre Gray performance. We know all about Andre Gray. He is a, he's a mixed bag. Some days he'll stick it in from the edge of the area on the volley which he's done a few times and other times he'll get very presentable chances and, and not take them I do think uh, in his defence slightly Pereira did take a long time to, to get it across 
because it was from a break and Pereira ran after the ball and they didn't realise he'd gone after it and he got it and he cut in and Gray was standing there I mean it seemed like ages and he waited and waited and then he hit it pretty hard at him and he wasn't able to control it and stick it in but, but you know he should have scored it. Yeah, There's no yeah, question yeah. about it. And if your job... Or at least got a target. <laughs> if your job is to score goals and you're given chances in, to do that where you've got a gaping net and you don't do it, you go into the bottom part of the Venn diagram for okay, me. So he's in the not played well <laughs> section. <laughs> Step, I'm sorry. <laughs> but Welbeck, again, something we've seen play, but not a lot, uh, especially at home in, in the Premier League. He does the thing that strikers are meant to do, but did he do more than that? Mm, mm, no, not yet. But I think I'm very, very hesitant to judge him on two and a half performances after being out for eight months and having all that rehabilitation work. I think you've got to give him 10, 12 games before you can really say, is he the real deal? Is he going to score 10, 15 goals for us this season? Or is it over for him? Is he, has he, has he really not, is he not able to get back to the level that he was when he was at United and Arsenal and playing for England? And we won't know that. He's, the rust is still there, it's evident, but the pace is coming back. I thought there were some moments of confidence and, and belief. He's, he knows what his job is, it's to, to win the ball in the air, and he won the ball nicely in the air a couple of times. He got on the ball, he got that chance where he came one-on-one, -on -one. He, he ran directly. You, you knew exactly what yeah. he was going to do. You knew he wasn't going to pass it to Gray. Yeah. And he ran straight towards the keeper on the basis he thinks, I'm going to beat this keeper and score. And sometimes with Delefeo, when he gets in that position, you think he, you, you can see him humming and hawing, humming and hawing, humming and hawing. With, with Welbeck, no. He gets the ball down. It's what he's been doing his whole life. Straight towards goal, direct. I'm going to score. Near post, far post, as it was, the keeper got his foot to it, so he, he didn't score this time. But I like that. And, and you know, you, you do want, you know, back, back to the days of Igalo. He was called out in the end for being selfish, but you want your number nine to be yeah. selfish. You want him to go straight for goal and try and score. If there's an obvious pass and there's three men on him, of course. But uh, And in that instance, if he passed to Gray, I think Gray probably would have been able to score that one. <laughs> uh, although he may have been offside, I'm not sure, because I ha obviously haven't seen it from the side. But yeah, I, I think he's, he's doing OK. He looks like he's, gain he's getting better each time we see him. There's a bit more from him. He didn't play great last week, but he, I think you can write last week off. But uh, today I thought he led the line well and he looks like a focal point for us. And if we're going to play this style of football where you, you, you nick it off them and release it, then you know, he, him and someone like Gray, you need pace to get over the top and on the ball. And I, I thought he, he, he looked all right. I definitely put him on the, up, the upper side of the, the all right bit of the Venn diagram. It's a complete Venn diagram. How was your Venn diagram? Where would you put all the players? Uh, get in touch at podcast at fromtherookend.com or on the social medias at Watford Podcast. Uh, thank you much to Colin. He'll be back in a minute uh, when we, uh, we, you hear our chat we did before the game. Uh, but fan Mike, Michael, how do you feel about that? Um, pretty despondent, I think, really. I don't think it was the greatest performance. Uh, I think the, most, the best thing for me was probably the first 10 minutes of the second half where I thought they came out fired up. Pereira sort of tackled back a couple of times, which is the first time I think I've seen him do that in his, in his Watford career. But overall, if you, if you look at the, the whole game in an entirety, I think Andre Gray missed an open goal and Danny Welbeck fluffed a one-on-one. -on -one. Apart from that, I think it was a very below-par scrap, really. I don't think Sheffield United looked really worried at any any stage. And, yeah, I thought it was pretty disappointing, really. You know what? We're up at the top of Occupation Road. It's much sunny down the bottom of Occupation Road. The chat with Colin at the bottom. We were, look, we were looking at, you know, green shoots. I'm not saying this was amazing. I'm not saying anything. Green, it's far too late for green shoots. We don't need green shoots. We need this to turn around, and it needs to turn around quickly. You replace Sheffield United for, I don't know, virtually anyone else in the division, we're not going to win the game. 
and the chances are we lose a game under a performance like that. I mean, I agree, there's something, there's, a, there's the... Have you, let's look at it. Have you seen the Dawn it, Wall? No. So this uh, it's, a, it's a great documentary on Netflix. Watch it instead of the match of the day tonight. <laughs> in fact, I'd recommend it's about a it's um, about a free climber and what he does he oh, yeah. climbs without any stuff and he gets his fingertips into the tiniest little crevice to help him pull himself up. And if that, that's about where we're at, we've yeah. got I think we've got our fingertips in the smallest of slippery crevices. <laughs> Does this mean this is going to be our first ever uh, explicit rated podcast? Um, I, look, we didn't lose the game. I think yeah. I think we were a lot. Yeah, but we didn't. No, 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 right. Not losing it's, it's, it's good what, enough at this stage of the but season. But what's really interesting team. is the way that you're looking at it, and Colin, who went to Wolves, and uh, he's looking at it. We know what what Man City was, and it's almost like let's ignore that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But as steps go, Colin was saying, if you look, what is Kike? isn't and hasn't in the past played possession football he is get it move it and there were steps quite I think some quite big steps towards getting towards that compared to the previous definitely at least two weeks I thought defensively they looked relatively sound I thought uh, I thought we got uh, a clean sheet Michael we got a clean sheet the first one since February bang goes that stat that I think I've said every (laughs) half an hour on the half hour for the last uh, well since February Um, I thought Cavaselli was excellent I thought he put his body on the line really really well Um, I thought it was disappointing that um, Prodel went off incredible to see him brought back in from the from the wilderness and I thought he actually did okay but Cavaselli was good I thought Pereira looked probably looked decent Danny Welbeck buzzed around a bit but and you're right it is a clean sheet there is you know it's a point but I think we're at the stage we need we just need more and I suppose coming off the back of a really really bad performance at Wolves an even worse one at um, an even worse one at Man City at least there was some semblance of organisation there there was some semblance of shape here we go he's coming to the positive side now but I don't I don't think that's enough I think that's where we should have been from, from day one and to sort of try and try and pick any sort of positive bones out of a, a nil-nil at home with with Sheffield United. All credit to Sheffield United. They haven't lost away since January. I think it is. They're a, they're a decent side, well organised. They'll be. They would be more than happy with a with a point. So we would have to break them down. But where where we're at, we, we just needed it to go in somehow. We needed to get that one-nil scrappy win, and we didn't. We didn't get it. And you know there were boos at the end there. I don't. And I don't blame them. I didn't boo. I, you know, I think we've got to stay behind them. We've got to, there's still opportunities in, in, in the season, obviously, to turn it around. But it just looks very difficult. I just can't help thinking you put on any other side in front of what that Watford team today in the Premier League. They're either the, the, a nil-nil draw is the absolute best. Um, and you have to imagine that we'd lose the most sides. I just, I just, I don't know. I'm just finding it really, really hard to, to be positive. That could be we've had four kids with us this afternoon, so <laughs> so keeping them sat down and stuff has been uh, problematic. Flo slipped down, got her, her foot trapped on the seat in front, so lots uh, lots to contend with. Um, I Jason's uh, young lad uh, Daniel behind me, yeah. and the, uh, the, the 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 cardboard things we had held out. He he. He'd, made it into a bit of a megaphone and, and, and it was just, just over my left ear so that was lovely for the first half um, but we sorted out with a bit of magic I get you I get you Mike I get you and what's saying it's perfect but I think I'm looking at the positives maybe more than you are I think clean sheet's good clean sheet's good it's a point it's not a loss but it's just there's obviously a, a very very long way to go I think the, the parallel that everyone's drawn is Palace I think drew, lost their first seven games and didn't score a, score a goal well this was our eighth game and we still haven't still haven't won 
and the longer it goes, you know, Tottenham Hotspur have not been embarrassed by Brighton today. They'll be looking for some sort of, uh, you know, what happened when a, a big top six team lost to a team they shouldn't have done before playing us a week before. Uh, Manchester City better than us eight 0 So no, 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 that's different. It's completely different. Manchester City were playing against Norwich, and Norwich just about beat them. And if that game was five, ten minutes longer, they would have. True. Let's, got not, it. Worry. Let's not worry about the Tottenham were terrible today. Let's and and there. So we're not going to worry about that. We're the Orns. You're the Orns. Mike Stern is parking his son called Arlo and this is our feature Michael Parkinson It gives me great pleasure to welcome once again to Michael Parkinson Arlo, Arlo how are you doing? Good Thank you very much for joining us I know you're a busy man what are you just about to do? Play football Yeah you've got a match this morning haven't you away at Flaunton come on Chesham We were at the Watford Sheffield United game yesterday and the Rookery End they held up the 1881 they held up a big display saying Forza in, in black and yellow which we thought was very good if you could get the 1881 to organise it so they displayed a word and the rookery end, what word would you choose? Um, Graham Taylor. Graham Taylor. Nice tribute to the great man. Now, we were at the game yesterday. Nil-nil. What was the single most positive thing? What was the best thing about Watford's performance yesterday? Um, they passed really well. They just played really well. They played. Do you think they were a bit unlucky? Yeah. And do you think Watford are going to get themselves out of this trouble? Yeah. Good man. Arlo, play well out there. Thank you very much for joining us. Bye. We did want to record something before the start of the game to look back on you know, actually where Watford are and not let this game that we've just seen sort of cloud our judgment. So Mike, Colin and I met before the game to think about why Watford where they are now and where did it start to go wrong. We want to talk about where this started to go wrong, uh, where we sort of got a little bit off kilter. Where? 1881, when this infernal club was uh, brought, to, brought to be. No, 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 the current incumbent. We know we've had many, many, many problems in the past, Michael. We remember the 1990s. Where do you think the, the, the current problems Watford are facing, as in we're not 100%, or not lost cause, but where did it start going wrong for you, Colin? Well, it's interesting. There's been a lot of talk about, oh, it all started to go wrong at the end of last season, February, March, April, we, were, we started to play poorly. But actually, I had a look back at some of those, uh, those games, some of the results. We thrashed Fulham, we got a good draw against Southampton. We did get a lot of late goals and we did con- normally concede first. But a lot of those losses towards the end of last season were against big clubs. We had, we had a narrow defeat against uh, City and United. We had a narrow defeat against Arsenal. So I started to think, did it really go wrong that far back? We, I mean, we were, we were on the cup run. There was a lot of excitement around the club about going to a semi-final, which we then won, despite going 2-0 down, admittedly. And then uh, the end of the season, we, it was a bit of a damp squib. We ended up 11th, not 7th, but there was only a few points in it. So I can't really think that it started to go wrong that early. So then I was thinking, well, when did it start to go wrong? And then it sort of... I started to wonder, so when you've got a group of players who've had a good season together and they've, they've played well and there's been a sort of cohesive unit, the Caput, the Corre thing, Gray getting his late goals, there's been, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of good last season under Javi, but we went to the, the cup final. A cup final, an FA cup final, is watched by approximately a billion people. So it's an enormous shot window for our club and we were utterly humiliated. 
as fans on the day, we didn't really care that much. We were like, oh, well, our semi-final was kind of our final. Anyway, it's great. And the fans would behave brilliantly. They waved their flags at 85 minutes and they sang like mad. But for the, for the club, for that group of players to be that humiliated in front of the whole world, I think had a very, very uh, nasty effect on basically on their psyche and on their collective consciousness and on their belief, their self-belief, their confidence, all those things. And I think what happened in that game was that Habi set them up wrong. He set them up as if we were playing Wolves or, you know, a mid-table side like we were. Didn't set them up to play one of the best sides in Europe and they tore us to pieces. And I think that I suspect what happened was that that group of players suddenly looked across at their head coach and thought, not sure I believe in him in the way that I did at the beginning of the season when we were winning lots of games. He didn't set us up right. What was he thinking? Why did we get pulled to pieces? Yes, we've got to take responsibility ourselves, but was it also not the responsibility of him and his coaches to not come up with a better tactical plan to stop City just scoring at will? So you go away on your holiday, you go to Belize, the Maldives, wherever they go, <laughs> Scotland. Uh, on his Somewhere expensive. It's a cycling holiday. Ben normally goes to Spain, I think. Uh, they all come back together at pre-season and that lingering doubt maybe about Javi uh, may still have been there and, and we played we didn't play well in those pre-season games but we eked out a couple of reasonable results and then we go into the season and we get we get battered by Brighton on the first day we look terrible so I my feeling is that where it really went wrong was on that day in May at Wembley where I think something so profound happened to that group of players that they slightly lost confidence in themselves individually, in themselves as a collective unit, and more importantly, perhaps, in the coach himself. I think all that's right, but I also think there's a wider malaise that has caused this. If you think about Watford in their Premier League season so far, what we had four, this is our fifth, everyone has been exactly the same. Good start, wobbly middle, terrible end. Good start, wobbly middle, terrible end. Every single season, all four of them have followed the same pattern to within sort of certain parameters. So I think, I think Colin's absolutely right, I don't disagree with anything he said, but what I think, this team turned up, because it is the same team, very much the same, we've kept hold of our key players, we've added in, we've got some decent strikers, um, attacking options, and we've, we've added defensively, but it is the same squad. They came up and they thought, we know what this Watford team does, we beat the average teams, we probably won't do so well against the, against the big teams, here we are, another Premier League season, we know what's going to happen, we know what to do, we've got this. And they turned up against Brighton and Hove Albion and got absolutely marmalised. Um, and I think that took them by complete and utter surprise. I think they turned up thinking they've got it licked. I think they turned up thinking, we know how we do this. We'll, might, we might finish top half. That'll be what we'll aim for. We'll deal with these less big sides and, and we'll probably get sorted out by them. But we can deal with that. And they couldn't deal with Brighton on the first day. They got handed their backsides. They would have been embarrassed. But more apart from anything else, surprised. And I think that will have... Uh, affected their confidence hugely uh, and the proof of it in that particular pudding has been eaten ever since I think from a confidence point of view this side looks absolutely shot to bits and that's why I think that the move with, with Kike hasn't worked necessarily because we haven't had that new manager bounce because the confidence is so bad we're having to build on parts of our game that we haven't had to before the defence has always been leaky it's never been this porous it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous so all of a sudden this is a team low on confidence in a completely alien situation I think that Brighton game was the catalyst for this run of form which is fairly obvious but I think the way that we've ended each season and been completely unable to, to turn around a, a poor run of form but safe in the knowledge that we were safe and safe in the knowledge that most Watford supporters were going to go into the summer happy it never really became a big deal within the club necessarily that, that we had such a poor end beat the rubbish teams lose to the, lose to the great ones stay up, rinse and repeat 
And as soon as we lost that Brighton game, they thought, oh, hang on a minute, things might be changing here. We might be in for a different, a different uh, experience. And they just haven't been able to deal with it so far. And that's what makes today such an extraordinarily massive game. This is their, probably, I think, their last chance to prove they can, they can turn it around. I think if they don't get a result today, don't care if they win 3-0, 4-0, 1-0, if Decore handballs it in again, whatever, if they don't win this, I think they're done. But Colin, lots of people have been sort of crying out that the, the problem started maybe a bit longer ago. Not a direct problem, as you, Mike, have sort of said about the FA Cup final and the, and the, the reacting to a loss to, to Brighton. Um, but the fact that recruitment hasn't been amazing, I think it's actually been a bit stupid that people are sort of blaming uh, Philippe Giraldi so directly uh, for recruitment. But we have been saying on this podcast for over 18 months, we need a new centre-back and we need a new striker. We got both those in the summer, but there were only the West Brom centre-back and they were an injured coming-back striker. I know that's what we have to do and they're the players we have to sort of buy, but we haven't done that gradually. We haven't sort of evolved this team as gradually as I, I would have hoped. I don't, I'm not sure. I don't, think the, I don't think recruitment's the problem. I think we've recruited pretty well. If you look at the, the squad we've got now with players like Pereira who came in under Mazzari and Delefeu who came in under... Uh, Javi Grazia and um, players like Decore that were brought through uh, uh, early on and Holobas who's, who's gone on uh, who was the here from the beginning wasn't played by Kike and then was played by Mazzari and so I don't I don't think recruitment's a problem I think there is a there's always a problem with a small club's model and we're not the only club that complain about recruitment you know people people are Brighton fans complain about not getting in good enough players not replay even even Arsenal fans complain that they haven't bought a decent centre-back in about 25 years so they're not the only ones the problem with defenders is They've got no sell-on value, really. Occasionally you get a Maguire, occasionally you get a Van Dyke, but mostly you buy them for what you end up selling them for. And that's why people like the Pozzos are trying to do bargain basement purchases. You know, if you look at um, uh, around the league, teams that get relegated, normally their centre-backs get poached because they've got Premier League experience and they'll probably, they'll probably be all right for us, but they're only going to cost us three and a half to five million quid, which is what Dawson cost us. Same with Foster, who I have to say, I think, uh, has dropped off massively. I think he's a real problem for us. Goalkeeping is a real problem for us at the moment. But So there's a problem with the model, which is you don't spend money on defenders because you can't get it back. So that, that's why we haven't recruited a really top-class central defender. Also, you, know, you have to understand that lots of players don't want to come to Watford from the French First Division. Their eyes are on a bigger prize than that. They don't, some see it as a stepping stone, like Saar has, like Decore has, although for Decore that hasn't worked out. And I do wonder about the psychological effects on Decore of not getting his big move. I think in his head, his plan was that he wouldn't still be here this season, that he probably shouldn't have been here last season, that someone was going to come in and take him, and that hasn't happened. Now, if you're a primary school teacher, right, and you're a very good primary, year five primary school teacher, but all year long you're having a fantastic year, your kids are flying, and there's this deputy headship at a really good school up the road and everyone's saying John's going to move on he's definitely going to move on he's, he's, you know, he's, he's outgrown this role he's going to get that deputy headship he's perfect for it and then it doesn't happen and you have to go back to your old school and you have to keep teaching year five but don't tell me that that isn't going to have you know with also the, the deputy headship double the wages <laughs> it's going to have yeah right <laughs> it's going to have a, uh, sorry I don't mean to, to pick you out but, but, uh, but it, it has a psychological effect and we can see that with Decore and I, I think we can see it with Delafeo and so I don't think recruitment's a problem I think Confidence is the problem, belief is the problem, and I think that's to do with leadership. And I don't know where the lack, where the missing bit of the leadership is, whether it's in the boardroom, whether it's on the training pitch, whether it's actually in the team, that without Deeney, there isn't really another obvious leader in that squad. Is that leadership Collins mentioned there, Mike? Is it just purely Troy Deeney? I think he is on the treatment table. I think we miss him hugely. I think he keeps them honest. I think he doesn't let 
players off with poor performances. Um, I think he would knock out a bit of that confidence. He said, come on, chins off chest, shoulders back, let's go out there and, and perform because they haven't performed. You know, we were just talking to Colin before we started recording about the Wolves' performance, the worst you said, Colin said, in a, in a long, long time, which, which is saying something. Um, so yeah, I think I think he makes a massive difference, and and I think recruitment is an issue. I think the, the defence isn't isn't good enough in terms of the personnel. If you look at it, it's not good enough. If you were on Championship Manager or whatever you call it, the Football Manager, you'd go be going in with that with that defence. You'd be worried. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. It's not good enough. I'm not saying it isn't a problem, but I can see why they haven't recruited with yeah. big money. But and go I, on. I think that defence has been let down by the rest of the team. I think Wolves, a case in point. You know, defence doesn't get pulled around like that if the people in front of them are doing their job pro properly. Those back four, or the back five, or the back three, however they are, they don't turn into ridiculously bad defenders overnight, which they've been made to look for the last month or so. Manchester City, Wolves' first goal was, was absolutely farcical. That happens because the entire team is bent out of shape, not because of your back four have forgotten how to defend. It's, it's a decent squad. The defence isn't strong enough. The personnel isn't there. So it, you can ask questions of it. But also... They, they, you look at trends, this, we've done all right with this team before. We have had, a, I've used this phrase plenty of times before, a championshipy championship looking defence. But it's actually done reasonably well and served us well. So for all of a sudden to turn around and say, well, well you should have known. It's like, well, actually, last year we got to an FA Cup semi-final and we're talking about Europe. The year before that we stayed that comfortably, so on and so forth. So it obviously needed more strengthening, I think. But to sort of be a bit so wise after the event is a bit, a bit revisionist. And I think it's the whole team, this confidence thing. Troy's a big miss, but some of those other players, Decore needs to realise that he hasn't got that move. I make Colin right. He's disappointed he's still here. Delafeo doesn't want to be here. Pereira will be looking at getting away in January. I'm sure of it. And I don't necessarily blame them. But what they have to do is realise they're not going to get out, out away unless they turn this around. Exactly right. They need exactly. to take responsibility. They've got themselves into a mess. It's up to them to sort it out. And, you know, we can talk about Troy till we're, till we're blue in the face. He's not playing, he's not around, so he can't do what we need him to do. Someone else needs to step the hell up, because otherwise this season is going to disappear in the blink of an eye. We'll be a championship football club, and these guys' moves will have disappeared along with our aspirations. It's over to them. From the rookery end. Every so often on From the Rookery we like to test our what for knowledge, and we play a round of... Going for Golden. Hello and welcome to another Going for Golden. Your chance to show off your Watford FC knowledge. Remember, you can buzz in whenever you like by pressing the pause button on the device you're listening on. If you're right, you gain the last score set. If you're wrong, then you can continue to play along, but your score won't count. We have five clues, and with each, you should find it easier to guess the answer. So let's play! Um, who am I? For five points, I started my career in a palatial environment. For four points, I've done something at Wembley that none of the current Watford squad have done. For three points, I helped quite a big turnaround when I made my debut in 2015. For two points. After leaving Watford, I went to Nottingham Forest. And for one point. I'm a ginger centre mid. It should be elementary by now. 
am I? I'm Ben Watson. Ben. Colin, um, I went too early. I went far too early. Uh, I buzzed on four points, so no points for me. How did you do? Not terribly well. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of had, the, I kind of saw, I knew who it was, but I couldn't put a name to the face. One point for me, I'm afraid. Uh, okay, well, thank you very much for taking part. Uh, do send us your scores. Uh, hashtag going for golden. Uh, and send it to at Waffle Podcast. And there'll be another round of going for golden soon. On from the rookery end. Well, from the rookery end is, well, you guys, uh, thank you very much for listening and you, you know, taking part in everything we do. Me, myself, Mike, Colin, who's on today's podcast, DCW, uh, who's up in a little bit, he's got some views. And also Jason, Geordie, and uh, well, a whole other bunch of Watford fans who we try and get on to, to tell what is life like as a Watford fan. Uh, one of our gang, Kieran, KT, or Hollywood, he is the women's correspondent for The Athletic. He spent today up in Middlesbrough watching England play Brazil. Uh, but... He sent us a message earlier this week, which, uh, hey, it's a bit of positivity about Watford and what might be to come. Guys, I thought this one might interest you. I've just come off the phone to Tim Vickery, who's a South American football expert, does the BBC Five Live World Football phone in every week. He's based down in Brazil and he has a stupid amount of knowledge on football down there. I was speaking to him for a piece for the Athletic ahead of the England-Brazil game this weekend. And when we'd finished talking women's football I said to him look I'm a Watford fan what can you tell me about Joao Pedro and he said oh god I love watching him he's such a talented kid and uh, I think uh, the Pozzos have done it again or their recruitment team have done it again haven't they obviously they discovered Richarlison and, and he said to be honest I didn't see it with Richarlison and he said I, I bumped into one of the directors at Fluminense recently and, and sort of said to him did you see Richarlison going on to achieve what he did and, and the guy said no I didn't I genuinely thought he was he was pretty average uh, so yeah he was uh, he was glowing about Joao Pedro said that he's a really exciting player one that we should really uh, be enthusiastic about getting um, he's not quite sure how long we'll hold on to him for but uh, yeah definitely one to, to get excited about so that's coming from a man who certainly knows his stuff so uh, I thought I'd pass on that little uh, that little bit of knowledge that he's got. Other problems that we have as Watford fans are many other Watford fans. Um, it's always the way, isn't it, Michael, on, on social media? But there's been some quite negativity. Uh, and not neg- actually, you know what? I don't even call it negativity. I'd have to call it positivity about being bad and going down. I spoke to DCW in the week about his thoughts. He put a tweet out last week, which he had some interaction with other Watford fans. And almost like the acceptance of it being a good thing to go down. I started by asking him, how did it all start? I've seen it sort of bubbling away throughout the last few weeks. I don't know whether it's some sort of pain medication for Watford fans who are, who are not enjoying themselves at the moment. And I can kind I can kind of understand that, trying to sort of make the best of a, of a bad situation and trying to look for, for a bit of a distant silver lining. But I actually retweeted the article that Lou Orms wrote over the weekend about why he thinks going down to the championship wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing for Watford. The main thrust of his article was that it might give the coach, whoever that may be at the time, and the owners and Gino and Scott and whoever, might give the young players that we've got in abundance, not just at the club now, but around the world and all the different clubs and on loan and everything, it might give give us a chance to, to blood the youngsters and establish an identity and come back up in better shape. That may very well be an eventuality and that could very well be the case. But as I retweeted on Sunday over the weekend, it's not a view I agree with right now. I can understand why people feel those things, but to me, relegation would be devastating. 
it would be the end of this era could potentially lead to the end of the Potsos, maybe in, in an absolute extreme worst case scenario. I mean, everything could be ruined if we if we get relegated. Having worked so hard to get to the Premier League, I don't think it's really right for us as fans to want to be relegated or to say that we'll have more fun in the Championship, so it's fine if we go down. I, I just I just can't see that. I can't understand it. It's against everything that's instinctive to me as a fan, as a supporter, to want to see Watford Football Club at the highest level doing the absolute best they can do. And that is not in the Championship. Because I, I think there's look, there's several angles all to this. And you, you know, let's start with the first one. The fact is as fans and being having fun. Fun always means winning a lot. Um, and we didn't win a lot necessarily. We were a Pozzo team in the Championship. And it's not a guarantee. In fact, I think going down, I'd probably feel every loss would feel 10 times worse if you, you're going into a season thinking, oh yeah, we, we'll go down, we'll have fun away at Barnsley. It's, it's, it won't be fun. I think it will feel more intense. Look, it's a risk. If you go down, there is a chance. If you go down and you keep your house in order and you manage everything sensibly, that you can be strong in the championship and that you can mount a successful promotion bid first time round. Plenty of teams have done that. I suppose the most recent one would be Burnley, who came up, weren't very good, didn't spend much money, went back down, kept it all together, added, came back up. Great. Now look at them doing pretty well, doing better than us at the moment. But the flip side of that is that you could be Bolton Wanderers. You could be Stoke languishing at the bottom of the championship without a win, having been the favourites for promotion last season, spent loads of money, kept a lot of their big earners, and it was a disaster. You could be Portsmouth. Sheffield United went all the way down to League One and had six seasons in League One. Yet they'd come back eventually. They had a lot of pain and a lot of terrible, bleak nights and days and afternoons in the midst of that journey. We have got the opportunity to sort ourselves out potentially and stay in the Premier League. Yeah, I understand why people want fun from their football. We do go along to football to enjoy it, to enjoy the experience, not just the match, but the whole experience of the day and, and the before match and the after match and everything. I just think it's it's slightly wishful thinking. I think it might be rose-tinted spectacles. We had an awful long time in the championship and, and even <laughs> yes. below. And and Christ, we can all remember some absolutely dreadful days where we were watching awful football, playing teams who were playing awful football in the freezing cold, and we weren't enjoying it. Yeah, there were great seasons. There were some seasons where we went up. There were seasons where we challenged. But there was just as many seasons where we nearly went down. Yeah, You know, let's remember the times when people were outside the stadium rattling the buckets, asking for donations. It doesn't take too many steps to reach that point again. Yes, we're in a great position now, more stable than we've probably ever been. But you go down from the Premier League and you lose all the riches and you don't come back up quick enough, you are in big trouble. And I don't want to risk that. You talk about Stoke and you talk about Bolton. I think the problem that those clubs have had is the fact that they had several seasons of being absolutely on the edge of falling, didn't, just about stayed up, finally went down and then fell quite dramatically because more of a mentality around the club. I mean, what looking at Stoke, you know, the other night during the week, you know, they've got the, their, you know, their manager was literally throwing in the towel. And that's not necessarily uh, he's got the, the squad he's got and he's not got the great enough players. It's there's there's a there's a vibe around Stoke that doesn't sort of make sense. So how you go down is really important. 
and you can't go down. You ha- I think you have to go down fighting. Yeah, well, we're, we're, <laughs> it doesn't look like we're going down fighting at the moment. No. Does it? Um, <laughs> look, I'm not saying that we if we go down that we are going to turn into bottle wanderers. I don't necessarily think we would do. I think we know enough about the owners and about Scott Duxbury to suggest that they would be sensible and prudent and they could use the network and, and bring some of these younger players through, as I suggested and Lou was suggesting, that might be something we could do and we come back, we could come back better in 12 months' time. And if we do, great. Maybe that would, in the long term, prove to be a better thing. But the reason I think the Premier League is great or that I enjoy being in the Premier League, even if we're not necessarily challenging for Europe, if we're just in that mid-table zone. I just think the very reason that you're there, it feels like it matters more. Yeah, it might be fun to have a season in the Championship where you are winning more often than not, and you can go into your matches, home or away, thinking, yeah, we're probably going to win this, and we might have some big wins and play good stuff and get momentum and win six, seven in a row, and it's all great. You're unlikely to win seven games in a row in the Premier League. But that one win, those two wins every now and again, or that maybe that one or two times that we go to a top six club and and beat them or play really well and get a draw, to me, it almost means as much as winning eight games in a row in the Championship against mediocre opposition. Those achievements, it, it just feels like it's the pinnacle. It feels like... It's what you should be aiming for. You want to be there. You want to be rubbing shoulders with the best clubs in the country. Because if you don't want to be in the Premier League, then there's no point being in the Championship. Because the whole point of being in the Championship, the very thing that makes the Championship one of the most compelling leagues in the world, is that every team in that division has realistic aspirations of getting out of it into the Premier League. And we've achieved that. And a lot of teams have tried and failed to achieve that. We've got something special. I don't think we should just carelessly wish it away because we've got to be careful what we wish for. There's, there is no guarantee that Watford Football Club should be a stable Premier League club. If you look at our status and our, the size of the town and the club and the history, we are punching above our weight. We should enjoy every second of it while we can, even if it's as dismal as it is at the moment. Hopefully we turn it round. But if we go down, I'll be devastated because to be in the Premier League is what everyone should want. And I, I don't get these people that say, oh, it's sanitised. Oh, it's it's not real football. I prefer the real football of the championship and it's proper down there. It's worse. It's less entertaining more often than not because the standard isn't as good. We'll be worse in the championship. We'll have worse players in the championship on average than we do now. We'll be, we'll be seeing worse matches, teams that aren't as good. Yeah, we might not win as many matches in the Premier League, but we're competing and we, you've got to be striving to be the best that you can be. And it's grim at the moment, but I'd much rather be where we are than, than back where we were. It's right, though. You, you had a, a good end to last week's podcast after Wolves podcast Mike you're, you're, you're trying your positive best I got a phone call from Anne Swanson this week the legend that is Anne Swanson the lady who looked after Junior Hornets back in the day when we were Junior Hornets uh, and she sort of said to me 
That's right. That's and you've got to keep that element. You can have your downs. You can have Colin in the last week's podcast feeling a bit down. Yeah. But we have to stay positive, and we can't be thinking about this going down because we go down like that. We don't, we don't go down fighting. We got no chance. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, we have to. We have to keep going. And you know, I've been. I've been down about this game and I'll uh, you know but that's because I am I'm not going to I'm not going to pretend to be something I'm not on the on the show but yeah look as football fans we still you start, Flo was just saying there oh, who else would we support in the Premier League if we got relegated or whatever it's like you don't support anyone else of course you don't and she understands that really she was sort of she was winding me up a little bit but you stick with your side and you know we're, we're here for them they almost scored at the end there and we'd have all gone home with a massive bounce in our step but as supporters that is what you sign up for you are a supporter that's it. That is the the name is the clue is in the definition. You get behind them, you pay your money. I think there was some embarrassing social media footage of um, Newcastle fans demanding, uh, was it Jamel Lascelles uh, that should pay for their taxi back from Leicester? And it's like you you don't understand being a football supporter. You, there's no one owes you anything. If you're crazy enough, and we all are slightly deranged, aren't we, as football supporters, to invest this amount of emotional and financial um, energy into into sporting football club? Then that's that's on your terms. It's up to you. So I think we have a, a duty to get behind them. Uh, we have a duty to be that critical friend, of course, and say when things, as I have been this afternoon, uh, but ultimately you're still going to turn up, we are still going to get behind them, still going to try and suck the ball in, boo the opposition and cheer them. So, yeah, we have to, have to, have to stay behind them, whatever happens. We can, we can say they play poorly, but we still support them. And as for getting, as for getting relegated and people welcoming the championship, uh, astonishing beyond astonishing I've had the conversation with Andy the, 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 the one thing that I can imagine that I will, the one concession I'll make is that the queues to get in will be less but apart from that your match day experience is going to be less you're going to see worse players the prices won't change um, this is where it's at and I, I do not I will not be persuaded otherwise you need to be in the Premier League and it's not as if if we go down we're going to bat, I think there's this sort of slight revisionist sort of thing that we're, when we're in the Championship we're a big fish in that pond we're not we're not you really can not. count on a couple of fingers the amount of times we've had decent seasons in the Championship or been really genuinely challenging to go up. I mean, we've had obviously have some great times. This is where we should be. This is not, not this, sorry, that's not, this isn't where we should be. This is where we want to be and this should be where we want to stay. Absolutely, 100%. If you, you have a think about the Championship, imagine that game today with Sheffield United with eight or 9,000 fewer people in the ground and a, a lower standard of football. That's not what I want, and I'm, I'm sure that's not really what anyone wants. We need to stay in the Premier League. We've got a job to do. Let's try and get behind him. It was very flat today, understandably so. Uh, the team didn't really give us much to cheer about, but we are in it together. There's no point giving up. There's no point huffing and puffing. We complain when the players seem to do that. So let's see if we can't uh, try and be optimistic and uh, see what happens over the next couple of weeks. Tottenham there to be got away. You've got nothing to lose. You never know, do you? You never know. Thank you very much for listening to From the Rooker Inn. Uh, we'll have a week off next week, so I've got a big birthday celebration, uh, and it's going to be lots of fun. Uh, so we'll be back the weekend with Watford play away at the brand new, nice and sparkly Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Is it still called White Hart Lane? No. Good. Thank you very much. Come on, you odds.